Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lentz. And we are your hosts. And today we are joined by Michelle West to talk all about her upcoming film that we are currently crowdfunding and that I am producing called Lineage. Woo! Yeah, woo! Yeah, exactly. Um, This is super exciting. We've been in the process of preparing this crowdfunding campaign for weeks and weeks, and we're currently in the fourth week um so next week will be our last we are trying to raise $35,000 um it's an amazing short film that's based in depression era it's based on um Michelle's real life uh her ancestral family um dealing with abortion women's rights uh body autonomy ancestral healing epigenetics uh it's really got all of it and what I think is so cool about right now and releasing this right now and talking about this conversation uh, about abortion, about female rights, about, you know, body autonomy and the history of, you know, that journey within this country and the struggle um, is that we're still in it. <laughs> you know, That's we're in, definitely true. We're in the fucking thick of it. And um, especially with the hearings this week uh, with Amy Coney Barrett and you know discussions about Roe v. Wade um yeah it's it's really at the forefront of of our political environment and and so I think it's a really important conversation to have and I think women's stories are really really important to share um I I mean obviously co-signed and agreed um (laughs) I think it's you guys are doing well so far like you got like what 20,000 that's that's great yeah, we're over, we're about 58%. So um, by the end of this week, we're hoping to get 25000 which would be 70%. And then next week, obviously, get the full amount of $35,000. Um, yeah, it's crucial to to get it made and to, to pay everybody involved, um, make sure everybody's compensated. It's also a period piece. So, you know, that requires a little bit, a little bit more work. But yeah, we're well on our way. And we've got nothing but really lovely feedback and, and a lot of supportive people who I think are really feeling feeling the cause and feeling the time for these kind of stories you know I've talked about how storytelling is so important to mirror um our society and and so and this is this is no different yeah I think I mean yes again to all of that personally (laughs) I I, my favorite thing about kickstarters is checking out like the different tiers and stuff like regardless as to whether or not I am associated with the product or I'm gonna actually like support it I love to see kind of what the tier levels are and one of the things that I thought was really cool about this and I think that makes this story so applicable to everyone is like I think at a certain level, like you can have some of your own family pictures yeah. like appear in, and it's like, yeah, we do all have people yeah. in our family that have experienced stuff like this. And it really does drive a connection to anyone who wants to, to, to support. And I think, you know, definitely go check it out. Uh, you'll, you'll love kind of what you're seeing there. And, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy the products too. And, and, and be a supporter. It'll be great. Yeah. Just to, to, 
um, role, although that is one of the other perks is actually getting an ancestry like lineage. So finding out, uh, you know, awesome. about your own history and and where you come from. And so, yeah, it's really cool. You know, we all we all carry the the drama and the experiences of of our past. And so um, this really talks to that. But uh, we're going to talk even more about this and really get into the thick of, you know, abortion and, you know, air um, depression era struggles of women um, that are very similar to today. So without further ado, please enjoy. Yay, welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited today. I have a dear friend here, Michelle West, who is the writer-director of the upcoming short that I am producing called Lineage. Um, it is a personal story of her familial history with abortion. And so she is here today to talk all about the film, um, what the story is about, how it was inspired, and also to talk about abortion, which is a hot topic these days. Um, so thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yes, thank you for having me. You are officially popping my podcast cherry. So, oh, I feel very <laughs> honored about that. That is <laughs> that is some sexy stuff that we like to do here. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. This is um, it's a lot of fun, and especially you've been such a great friend of mine, and I'm really happy to come on and support this work that you're doing with this podcast. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I'm really, I'm really uh, honored to contribute to it. Yay, thanks. Um, Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. It's so fun, truthfully, to bring on friends and people that I know so well, just because, you know, you can add to the conversation. And then it's cool, because then you guys become a part of this community in like such an active, um, personal way. And, And I just... Yeah, it's just really exciting. Um, And this film in particular, you know, we've been on this journey. We are in the fifth week, no, fourth week of the campaign for crowdfunding, which is something that I have never done. Have you ever done anything like that? No, no. No. (laughs) Right. So that's been a journey in and of itself. Um, And um, but even before the campaign started, we were prepping for it for like nine weeks. I mean, we've we've been doing this for like a few months now. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So yes, it's it's been a journey and I want to talk up until this point, but um, I really want to get started by talking about, you know, what was the impetus for creating this story and how did you even find out about, you know, this history that you have with your family and, and how it relates to abortion? Well, it started just last summer. My family on my dad's side came out to Los Angeles for a little family reunion. I somehow conjured them all they are all on the east coast (laughs) so I got them all to fly out to LA Mm -hmm. and we spent a week together which was so fun it had been years since we'd all been together and and I stole a few hours with my aunt who is the matriarch of the family at this point and I really just wanted to find out more about my family and my lineage and like you know, what are some things I should know? Or like how, what, what are some of the stories and like, what did people go through? Like, I, I just realized that I didn't know a lot about, about my grandparents or my great grandparents. Um, 
And it, she was a great source of information because she's been on ancestry.com, like doing all this investigative work for oh, years. Wow. So she mm-hmm. had like all this like really juicy, like interesting <laughs> stuff to talk about. And, and, you know, I learned all this stuff about like, um, you know, who in my family was part of like the Irish mob and who Ooh, intrigue where there was scandal <laughs> happening. I think like even one of my, like, I think my great grandfather uh, on my father's dad's side. Okay. Had like six wives. Like, <laughs> what is that about? Right? At one time? He, like, he never got divorced. He just like kept marrying people. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> like, wild, right? So, um, and so one of the stories that she told me was, um, that when my grandmother, my Nana was a young girl, uh, she opened up a trunk that was in her living room that had been acting as like a side table. And this is during the 1930s, the great depression. They didn't have a lot. They were a pretty struggling family. And so it's not like there was a lot of furniture or anything. Like sure. one of the few things I had in the house. And what, where were they at this point? They were was in there... Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah. And so she opened the trunk and she found a fetus in the jar. It was a male fetus. And I don't know a lot of details after that. This is something that uh, she told my aunt when my aunt was an adult. So maybe 30, 40 Mm -hmm. years later, this is something that she reiterated. And then um, I also learned about how her mother, so my great grandmother, Hazel, had a number of abortions during the 30s around the exact same time. And there was a little German doctor who would come over with his like little medical bag and they would send my Nana out to sit on the front stoop while he went into the bedroom and he'd be in there for a little while and then he would leave. And then um, Hazel would be sick in bed for a couple days mm-hmm. um, and then, then that was it yeah. and so she she realized <laughs> over time that what was happening um, right. and so hearing these stories about women in my family having to confront with these you know realities of what it is to be a woman to be a woman who's also trying to control you know, your, your family and how you reproduce and how many children you take care of. I mean, she was having abortions, but she already had three kids during the depression where like they didn't have work. I mean, they were getting kicked out of houses because they couldn't even afford rent. So she could, she didn't want another kid. Sure. And she sought out options to, to prevent that hardship. It was seen as a hardship, you know? Um, and it just really touched me, like that kind of decision making that women have to have. And, and we've had it throughout time, regardless of what the circumstances are. I think every single woman at some point has to make a choice about her reproductive values, whether she wants children, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't want children, when she wants children, if it happens unexpectedly, can she make it work or can she not? What are the circumstances surrounding the conception? I mean, there's, 
so much that can come into play regarding getting pregnant and and bringing a, a, another human being into the world mm-hmm. um that these are these are conversations and and decisions that only women can make right right so um i i really I just really resonated yeah. i just really resonated with that story and like it kind of it just it really hit home when i was when i was hearing hearing about it so yeah um I I was taking a moment just because I was trying to figure out the date when birth control methods were available, um, just to touch on the idea that they were not available in the 30s to particularly your great grandma like that, like, this was a method of essentially birth control other than the maybe the pull out method or, you know, whatever, because we had more limited knowledge of what was going on and what was available. Is that accurate? Uh, I mean, there were other birth control methods and and also like um, in the 1920s, there was a a coalition of women that got together under Margaret Sanger who were, they they weren't so much promoting, like when Planned Parenthood was originated, it wasn't about like promoting abortion. They were promoting family planning and they were promoting birth control and contraception. So there was the beginning of kind of like a, a, a popular or like an accepted kind of contraception that was happening, but I wouldn't say uh, it was widely accepted. I, I, I said sure. popular, but I don't think that's the right word. I, it, it was not like widely accepted. It was really controversial at that point because of all the religious influences. Um, right. But there have been different methods of preventing conception for like forever. Forever. (laughs) I think even even way back in the day, they used to take like back in the day when we used to hunt and like use up all the animal, right? Like they would take like like um, different animal uh, like intestines or um, different pieces and like make it into a condom basically i think even something like uh, maybe even lambskin oh, that wow. might even still be used people have a latex allergy <laughs> you have a latex allergy but back in the day i mean they were using different like um pieces of the animal to kind of form into a condom that you and they'd even have to like tie it on with a ribbon because it wasn't like elastic right but like <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and then they like, watch it. And, um, but yeah, man, women have been, you know, trying to have sex without having babies forever. Right, forever. right. Yeah, I, I just found it in, and in 1950s is when, um, 1950s is when the first pill came out and it wasn't widely available until the 1960s but that was a part of like the big one of the big revolutions right of like body autonomy and being able to take control as opposed to it being a more external thing um you know that relied on on condoms or something like that but like allowing women to take over their own reproductive justice and their own reproductive rights like you were talking about um so i'm wondering so your did you have interactions with this Nana? Like, was she alive while you were alive? Yeah, until I was roughly eight or nine. Uh, but okay. because she 
stayed in the Philly, New Jersey area. I was, and I was in Minnesota is where I was born and raised. So I only saw her like a few times where that we were yeah. actually in person. Um, so I have like really specific memories of her from really specific sure. things. Um, uh, and I cannot recall a single like, you know, deep conversation. <laughs> You know, it's funny you brought up that we don't really or like you didn't know a lot about your your ancestors, your your grandmas and grandpas and great grandmas and great grandpas and what they had done. You know, I feel like I experienced the same thing. There was a there was an assignment in school I had. I went to like a unique Montessori school and I ended up like asking everybody in my family these like very long questions and having interviews with them. And I don't even know where all of that material went, but I remember getting really in depth and finding out some really interesting things. But it is sad we don't we don't storytell as much in I would say particularly in white culture I think like in other cultures it's more emphasized generations live with each other potentially you know like I feel like in the United States we're more separate we we don't have as much contact and so therefore we don't we, we don't quite get that interaction of these stories of passing down you know generations and so um it's cool that Ancestry.com also allows for like almost like a mechanical technological insight into some of that. Absolutely. And, you know, it is also a shame, I think, that we don't get um, more stories from people in our family because we're, we're passing it down in our DNA. Right. Yeah. We're, <laughs> it's coming down. Like, some of the sh- like, can I swear on here? I don't remember. Is this a swear? Yes, fuck yeah. Some uh-huh. of the yeah. shit that I deal with internally, like I'm certain that it's yeah. not mine. That that it's it's something that's been handed down through generations. Uh, whether that's shame or a specific trauma that happened that altered the course of somebody's life, and and now that trauma is kind of like filtering down in different ways, but like. I mean, even scientifically, epigenetics is showing how emotional trauma is now being represented in DNA sequences to future generations, at least two. There are some spiritual circles that say it gets carried down to seven generations, but science is showing that at least two generations are being affected by trauma that people experience. And so... um, I, I just think if we had more storytelling if we, and if we had more empathy for what people went through and, and also if we exercise the vulnerability and the courage to share the stories that are really difficult to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, how uh, much more quickly we could kind of get over some of these things that might be holding us back in our own lives that yeah. we don't even know the source of. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah, there, there's so many things there. I want to get into the epigenetics. Um, absolutely. I am curious. So when you heard this information, how did you feel, um, you know, understanding that this was part of your lineage, that your grandma had experienced that 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 abortion and and the struggle with reproductive rights and you know this this inherent female struggle vagina having person struggle um was so real how did that 
impact your life and and what what how what were your feelings coming out of that conversation and realization of this new this new information yeah I mean the I I mean my first emotional response was just of like a deep sadness it was like a grief of um of just how difficult that experience must have been for my great grandmother to because look if she made the decision to have an abortion and then she held on to the fetus i believe she didn't want another child but i also believe that there is a challenge that's presented in physically being able to create something and then letting having to let that thing go because you know that's the best decision for you to let that thing go i mean we can all probably relate to like something in our life that we can see value in but we know it's not for us and whatever journey that we're meant to go on right and so we have to let the thing go and it's very sad a relationship is the thing that comes up for me in, sure. in that conversation right where you've got to say goodbye to that person in order to do the things that you're meant to do right and and it's hard it's really hard and so i had just so i just had a lot of grief like the tears were coming in my eyes like imagining just what a challenge that must have been for her and then I felt a deep gratitude for the privileges that I've had as a young woman. I wasn't born until 1983, 10 years after Roe versus Wade. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, which is like, in, at least in the Twin Cities, it's mostly liberal. And like, I had resources. When I started having sex, I had resources to go to for for birth control. Like I got on the pill when I was like, um, you know, 16 or 17. So I had the ability to make sure that I was taking care of myself, even if it's, you know, only to like 98% or whatever the pill. Sure. You know, <laughs> like, that was a pretty, that was a better chance than nothing. Right. And, and I had that ability to, to prevent having to make that kind of decision. So um, I just was really grateful for the time that I was born in and, and that freedom of choice. Yeah. Um, and then just in terms of like your family and their feeling or, or what the predominant, um, presentation of sexuality and sex education, did you grow up? how did you grow up? What, what, what was your main feeling, um, or impressions of sex and sexuality, sex education? You know, was it something that was discussed? Was it something that was, um, open to talk about or, or was there, you know, less conversation about it more in a talk, you know, et cetera. Like what did, what did that look like for you? Yeah, I think, um, I got a, I mean, I got a wonderfully uncomfortable and clinical explanation from my parents. <laughs> I mean, I can only, <laughs> you know, I only empathize with like parents having to have that conversation with their kids because I was, I was young when I was like learning about sex from them, but then also the 
the school system was also kind of very clinical and like regimented with the words. And so the majority of my education is to like what it's like as a teenage young woman to be seeing sex everywhere every magazine every advertisement every movie every tv show like it's everywhere and then all my friends start to have sex and then i kind of just hear about it right and like girlfriend like girlfriends talk and so uh it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I never had like an empowering conversation or like, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I never had like um, an explanation. Like it was always still kind of taboo. It was always something that, especially because as a young woman, I mean, I started having sex when I was 15. So like, oh wow, that, that was seen as as being very young, like right. Yeah. The reactions like, Ooh. but I but I think I mean that's also just in comparison. Like I was twenty three when I had <laughs> you know the first yeah. penetration sex, which is which is considered old. So yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it was it was something that like I never felt um, uh, confident about to like tell people that I was having sex other than like, I couldn't tell my parents because I felt like I would get reprimanded or shamed. And I couldn't tell my, um, like any other sort of like adult person because I was young and like, so I just kind of like had my girlfriends and like, we sort of figured it out together. Right. Um, and the guys were just like, I mean, they, they are in their own world of figuring stuff out and being lost in their own world of influences. Right. So so they weren't exactly reliable or like comforting. (laughs) Did you, do you remember your feeling about abortion or whether it was a topic that came up? Yeah, it was, it was something I just knew was available and an option should I ever need it. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember I I feel like I got more radicalized and certainly became more of, you know, a quote-unquote liberal after middle school when I learned a lot of the history of the world of the United States, although much abridged to what the fuck actually happened. Um, But particularly like religion and the atrocities that have been, you know, perpetrated by religions over over the centuries. And I remember being like so militant, you know, pro-choice and that that was like a pretty big figure and has been since then. Like it's it's never wavered, but that has been one of the the key things and and it's grown into a more comprehensive understanding um you know with obviously so much to learn but for reproductive rights and justice and intersectional um feminism in in a way that applies to to people of all colors and 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 all gender expressions and sexuality um but it it was like a it's a it's been a figure like a, a a tenant of who I am <laughs> like since I was young so I was just curious if it was something that you you know identified with pretty quick on um or this is something that is kind of evolved and is now at the forefront because of this story and because of uh you know 
connecting with your ancestors and your and your family? Yeah, I think my um, passion for uh, keeping women's reproduction rights is new. I didn't know how important that would be to me because it was something that I just always had. And then even as I learned about the story, and I, I, I mean, the story about my grandmother making that discovery and then thinking about what my great grandmother must have gone through it sort of opened the door to the privilege that I've had as a woman and having all of the reproductive freedoms that I have right now. And even in this age of women being sexually free, not just reproductive rights, but like we get to have sex, talk about sex, be sexual, like, you know, as, as much as we desire. Right. And yeah, and that's all okay. And, and while I felt that, um, I, I, I didn't know like just how important it was really going to be to me until like within the last six months, it's just really, really ramped up. Um, and, and, and the importance of having a voice, you know, towards, towards this cause has just become so important in in honor of my family but in also in also in honor of who I am as a woman and for all women um yeah so take me I I love that and I love that this inspired um such a a shift of focus um for you and really allowed you to invest in something and investigate you know I mean I think that's the theme of 2020 as much as a million other themes but really investigating our privilege right and getting very clear on what is white privilege and how how is it affecting you know myself and my relationship to racism and and other people you know black indigenous people of color and then also understanding exactly like are we taking for granted these rights that we've had to abortion? I remember when I went, I'm from Arizona. And so when I was in Tucson, they were starting to crack down on, on abortion. And I remember having this, this feeling of like, Oh, I'm in Tucson right now. If I happen to get pregnant and want an abortion, how far would I have to travel in order to get this, this actually done because a lot of the Planned Parents there, Planned Parenthoods there, weren't offering abortion, and so I would have had to go to California. And it's like, how far do you have to go to get something that is legal, right? That has been made legal by the Supreme Court. Um, which I want to get into Roe v. Wade because I think it's a very interesting um decision that's not even like you know it's about privacy, but. Uh, yeah, it, uh, like uh, investigating all that. And so I'm curious, I want to go back into this idea of this transformation over the last six months and really like what what are the highlights of things that you've gleaned from your research, from, you know, taking this personal investment in investigating your family and your own um personal investment and and journey like what what are the highlights over the last six months that really stick out to you of you know shifts or new information that that shifted your viewpoint yeah 
I said six months, but my sense of time is really warped. Sure, that's true. <laughs> I'm like, was it six months? It was like, it was like, I mean, just throughout the last year, I guess I'll touch on because sure. that's really when this sort of came into my stratosphere, this idea of women not having choices, right? It, it was like just kind of dipping my toe into the 1930s time period and what that must have been like as a woman. And there's a lot there. Uh, not having reproductive choices being one of them, being obligated to your husband and considered your husband's property being another one. Marital rape was a very common thing that wasn't even talked about until the 80s. Like being a woman during the 19th, I, I really have a hard time imagining what that must have been like. And so when I was writing this story, that's where I was going, yeah. was back in time there and how that must have felt. And, but I'm doing that from this perspective of, of my experience and knowing what I know now and living in this time, right? And so going back to that where, and, and considering it as being normal, Mm-hmm. So that so that was just incredibly impactful for me emotionally. Um, and then I think that the um, uh, I'm not finding the right word, but the the way our current president is so blatantly offensive to women. Um, we all knew that (laughs) we've all heard it, but that really hit me in a new way too, that how is it possible that we're living in such an advanced age with such, you know, conscious, such a conscious, successful society. And here we have a man in power who is so blatantly sexist and disrespectful to women mm-hmm. and that was really hard to to think about and it and, and it it hurt me it made me not want to be a part of this country right. that we vote someone in like that who so blatantly disrespects women like that's not a place I want to be right and then yeah. you know it's really ramped up over the last couple months. I mean, really, there was something about the timing, Jerry, that we launched this crowdfunding campaign where, well, and really, even if you look at news articles over the last couple of years, the, the, there have been a lot of states that have been enacting opposition to Roe v. Wade and enacting um, new legislation that doesn't make abortion illegal, but makes it really fucking hard to get makes and it really so, difficult or like implicates the physician who is who is doing the abortion which and puts their liability at such a high rate that it's like why would they even want to do it because you know one example is that there was a, a law that basically said a woman could sue at any point 
after getting an abortion against a doctor for you know damages or or whatever and it and, and obviously that just opens the floodgates to you know crazy malpractice and so it's like that's a really way easy way to to squash it totally and and there are some other states too that have implemented um, requirements that you have to dispose of fetal remains via abortion as a burial or as a cremation. What? Wow. Like, I mean, it's, it's wild what's happening in order to shift public perception and shift, um, you know, actual medical actions. <laughs> in order to make abortion difficult. Um, So that's been happening over the last couple of years, like little bit by little bit by little bit. And then, you know, now with the death of RBG and the new woman whose name I shall not say being um, questioned. (laughs) She's like Voldemort. (laughs) Yeah, going, you know, and um, uh, being questioned and, and, considered for the Supreme Court, it's like, this is just sort of really, really ramped up. And I have no, I have no doubt that like the timing, all of this is, <laughs> let's, let's talk about spirituality. It's been like divinely orchestrated. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's like a, a huge reckoning. Um, can you speak at all to, since you were looking into the 1930s, when abortion you know, became, because it was a politicized issue um, towards the end of the the 19th century, from what I understand. And this shift of, you know, what our perception is, because I think it really plays into today how it has become this like, you know, right versus left issue, this religious versus like, you know, non-religious issue of morality, of defining when a life is, you know, viable, um, et cetera. And, and, and that is relatively new in the last hundred years of how we've, we've really spoken, you know, about abortion specifically. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I mean, well, look, it's, it's, it's an issue of control is what it is. And it always becomes a bigger issue and a hot topic during periods of women claiming authority and rights. Always. And the mid 19th century was a reflection of that. Um, because that was a period of revolution for women. They just started getting into politics. They just kind of started having a voice. And, and so that's when it started to become politicized. I mean, look in the, it's so funny when people talk about it being, well, I guess I shouldn't say it's so funny, but it's, it feels hypocritical when people talk about it being a religious issue because in the, 2020 years that Christianity has been a thing, almost 1900 of those years, abortion wasn't a thing. Like, like the, the mm-hmm. religious structure, like they didn't stop people from having abortions. Now, the idea that um, life happens at conception 
that only started in like the 1860s. Right. And it was a complete political move. Um, there was this guy, there was a doctor um, uh, by the name of Horatio Storer, and he was part of the American Medical Association. And when they developed the American Medical Association, they wanted to basically create this elite kind of authority over all things medical, including gynecology and obstetric, that word, obstetrics. I know. I, I think it's I obstetric. I can't and, help you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. And so basically, there's like a tongue there. <laughs> <laughs> so what they did, they, someone will fact check you later. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's obstetrics and gynecology. Yes. And so basically what they did was they were like, oh, uh, uh, midwives? Nope, they're not good enough. We know the female anatomy. Oh, and right. having babies? And no, we know it. So um, that was their way of pushing women out of these fields that they were experts in. And, and specifically Black and Indigenous women were mostly midwives. Right. And, and it really helped them gain that um, authority over women's health in general, but then also, look, it, you make more money if babies have, or if women have children. Sure. Yeah. Years too, because it's more expensive to go through nine months of pregnancy, go through the birthing process, and then you got like, you know, a new little one that's going to need some medical help too. So that's very profitable. But a woman having an abortion, that's not so profitable. So they literally created um, a, a moral standard that outed midwives, outed tradition, outed the authority of women being able to take care of women and put it all in their control. And then on top of that, they created a political agenda based on eugenics of like, wait a minute, let's look at this. If it's all middle-class and rich white women having abortions, because that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And none of that has changed too much, but that's what it was in the mid 1800s. Then the black people and the immigrants are going to keep having their babies and eventually they're going to produce more children and they're going to take over the government. So we should just like make abortion illegal so that the white women have to have babies too. Otherwise we're going to lose our white Protestant power over majority. Over government. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like all of this started to get infiltrated into, in, into the societal kind of, kind of, uh, uh, morale framework yeah yes and then that became law yeah I you know I there is so much that makes me want to pull my hair out and scream and you know I mentioned this off mic but I was watching uh I watched Boston Legal to go to sleep with my partner and um they did an episode about abortion in the last season and I was so livid because I felt the way that they were talking about it, you know, it brought in all these other aspects and, you know, uh, fine. You want to talk about um, 
things around abortion, what what the consequences are, that's fine. But it has to be balanced with, you know, when you take away this this right because in favor of, you know, the small, small minority that's either taking advantage of it for whatever reason, like, I don't really give a fuck. Like, women just need the right and they don't have to speak to why they're doing it, you know? Um, and so I got so mad. But what one of the things I thought that was very interesting that they talked about was um, this book, Freakonomics, specifically, you know, highlights how women who started having abortions in the 1970s when Roe v. Wade was passed, um, when it, you know, it was a Supreme Court decision that they that there is a connection potentially between the babies that were aborted to, you know, violent crime and crime rates 20, 30 years later, that it's potential that, you know, because those babies weren't brought into existence, because they weren't brought into our poor, you know, healthcare system, our our welfare system, our, you know, any of our systemic systems that are created to help people once they are out of the womb, right, um, that are so lacking, our social programs that have, uh, are, are in such need, um, that it actually caused potentially this lack in the this this decrease in violence um you know maternal mortality rates went super down because of uh because of abortion because of the access to this um and so you know there's there was a couple articles that specifically talked about how this was a public health um win <laughs> like it was a public health victory and so to still be spiraling about this conversation and to still be having the same thing come up over and over again that is specifically dealing with body autonomy and you know female autonomy and and being able to have re- reproductive rights it, it it is it is just mind-blowing um and that brings me to this idea of the film and why why now? Why why are you passionate about about telling this story about having it funded, you know, in a pandemic amongst this political turmoil that that we're in? Like why is this this the story? Yeah, I mean going back to to sort of like the divine intervention, it was it was something, it was a story that came to me that I said yes to. And I said yes because it was my family, and because it was a woman's issue. It was a woman's story and a woman's issue. And if I didn't tell it, no one was going to tell it. And so I, I felt um, a strong obligation and just this enormous pull um, that I had to be a voice for. Um, my great grandmother, for my grandmother, and for women who have felt shame around abortion, and that this story can be an example of uh, that it's okay, and that there's also a lot of hope and a lot of healing in telling the story about abortion. Because um, these these conversations are so vital to women, and it's vital for women 
to not hold back from telling them and from empowering themselves in every aspect of what it means to be a woman. So uh, it just, it was, it was something I said yes to in my mind and in my heart. And I've been simply putting in the work to allow it to come through. I love it. And it seems like people are resonating because we've raised quite a bit of money so far. Um, And we're getting closer and closer and closer to that goal of 35,000 to make this this film uh, come to life. And so uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for you coming on and sharing your story so open and vulnerably. Um, yeah, and just being so authentic. I think women's stories are so important and I'm, I'm grateful to be able to be a part of, of yours and, and your family journey um, and bringing that to life. Where can people find you and find the campaign? Because obviously everybody will want to donate immediately after hearing you. <laughs> yeah. And hey, we can make this for $100,000 if, you know. Yeah. I that's mean, what the, the really, sky is. Really <laughs> yeah, but I am... Um, <laughs> Uh, the everything me and the film um, is at, the film is called Lineage, and it is lineageshortfilm.com is where you can watch my video, find out the the mission and purpose behind this film and the story about how it originated, and everybody who's involved in creating it. Um, Additionally, on Instagram, uh, lineage, shit, lineage film, lineage underscore film. www.lineageshortfilm.com and then it's at lineage. I don't know. Oh. I'm, I'm Michelle Bell West. <laughs> Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Bell, as in Bell the Beauty, B-E-L-L-E west and everything i post is basically a lineage post and then um also yeah facebook lineage short film i mean we're on all the things you can just google lineage it's probably (laughs) gonna show up but lineageshortfilm.com is is the biggie awesome and the campaign ends when october 23rd friday october 23rd will be the last day we're accepting contributions from the public in mass so um anytime before then awesome uh well we will definitely put that in the show notes and all the links as well as links to the history of abortion if you're interested in more information um and a little bit on epigenetics because uh, we there's just so much to cover today that we, we couldn't possibly do it all. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, <laughs> I want to plug a couple film for if any film people are listening yeah. to this. There is um, a film by Mike Lee that he did in 2004 called Vera Drake. And it's a really nice um, insight into what it was like for women who were performing abortions for Mm. other women during the 50s and then also there was a film that just came out this year 2020 that won awards at Sundance and at the Berlin Film Festival it's called um, Never Rarely Sometimes Always and it follows a young woman who couldn't get um, an abortion in Pennsylvania and had to travel to New York to get an abortion and um it's a really really beautiful film i love it um thank you for sharing those and thank you for for coming on we did it yeah love you girl thank you yeah.
Yeah. Oh boy! Oh boy! Um, uh, that was so great. I'm so grateful to Michelle for coming on and being able to be a part of this project and produce it and, and bring it onto this podcast. Um, I did want to mention one thing. I think we spoke multiple times about Roe v. Wade and how we were going to discuss at large a little bit about um, what the case is really to do with other than just abortion. Um, and I think it's really important to make the point that this case was largely decided based on the right to privacy and that this has resounding effects on so many other things other than just abortion and so um it's really important to note that because like the the actual language of the case is not just specific to abortion and, and other things could be in jeopardy such as like um you know the right to response to privacy has been responsible for adult rights to sexual intimacy, to gay marriage. It's been used to argue the right of parents to make family decisions. Um, you know, whether people are rejecting medical care in certain circumstances and whether they can have medical care, um, rights for the physically disabled and the mentally ill. Um, it can support artificial insemination. It can even support, um, arguments for transgender individuals who have the right to privacy in in certain bathrooms and so the the implications of this decision are so widespread um past abortion and, and i i don't think we talk about it specifically when we talk about this case i think there there's a little bit of confusion and so um we'll put a resource to uh, you know explain more about that and and discuss that but yeah reach out you know if you have any questions um i'm always interested in in talking about it and and engaging further yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that, I mean, people obviously just, Roe v. Wade, you think abortion, but right. ultimately at the end of the day, it's about your right to have privacy of your own medical proceedings. And like, yeah. that's freedom as an American to choose what you want to do. And right. like, there's all these other things that go into it too, that I think if people really thought about it, should the government know what kind of stuff I do with my uh, medicine and with my medical doctors body. advising? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with my body, like, no, that seems silly <gasps> to have a politician in the medical office with me. Well, um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's it's dangerous precedent in in so many different areas. So, uh, yes, something to be aware and uh, aware of as we we move into this next era of the Supreme Court. Um, as always, please follow us on social media at Finding My Young Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we're posting behind the scenes videos and clips and quotes. Uh, so please be a part of our community. You can email us at findingmyyum at gmail.com. Um, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe kind of wherever you listen to podcasts, really. And uh, pick an episode that you love and share it with a certain number of friends. Jerry, how many? Uh, definitely 201 this time because we got to get that lineage campaign. We got to get it. We fund it. Absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll strike you a deal, listener. You can choose to not share this podcast with friends if you support Lineage. Okay. Yeah. You have so one, one of two options. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take a hit this week. It's okay. <laughs> um, yes. We we love you. We're, we're grateful to be able to be able to put out this content um, and to have you listening. So thank you for your time and your ears. And we'll see you next week.